Let's pray together. Almighty God, we pray that you're a speaking God, a God who wants to know you, a God that wants us to know you in a deep, loving way. We pray tonight as we think about prayer that we would use that gift aright, Lord, that we be people ready to pray at all times, giving thanks to you for all your good gifts, and in prayer confessing our sin to you, Lord, knowing that you've paid for it on the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we pray, help us to adore you. Help us to confess our sins. Help us to be thankful. Help us, Lord, to bring our supplications, our, our needs to you, because you're a good heavenly Father. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I don't remember this happening much, and there's people here that definitely didn't happen, but for some people, they would have been there buying this album as soon as it came out. It was called Blue Moves. It was an album in 1976. Elton John, Bernie Taupin, wrote a song called Sorry Seems to Be the Hardest Word. See, people are going, oh, I know that. I like that one. That's what I play. Now, that song, if you excuse the pun, struck a chord and made its way into our colonial language. It is so true. Anybody who watched the RHI uh, stuff pour out realize that our politicians don't necessarily like to say sorry for things. Yes, they'll be sorry for something that happened decades ago, maybe five years ago, but certainly not at the time. They'll spin round and round to get their way around it, and we may point at the politicians, but it's the same for you and for me. In the relationships, when we've been hurt or when we've hurt others, we don't want to admit it, do we? And so we hold a grudge. We dodge saying sorry. We say sorry, we, we say sorry like this. I'm sorry you feel that way. Have you ever said that? I'm sorry you feel that way. That's like saying, I'm not sorry. I've got nothing to apologize for. But I, I'm sorry if you've been hurt by it. You know, you're not, you're not confessing your sin there. You're not saying sorry at all there when you say, I'm sorry you feel that way. You're basically saying the problem's with you, not with me. You've got the issue. I don't have an issue. And as for children, that's right, Elijah. Sorry seems to be the hardest word, at least for the most of mine. And I wonder, is it because they don't hear us adults say it? I mean that. Truly, do our kids not hear us say it enough? Lisa is definitely better than this than me. But I guess I'm not alone in feeling this. If it's hard on a horizontal level, hard for me to work out my relationships with, my, with, with people around me, how much more saying sorry in a vertical level, saying sorry to God, it is so, so difficult. And so it's good we're here in Lent, the third Sunday of Lent, as my son was reminding me. It's good he's very liturgical. Uh, that we're here in Lent, and it's a time to remember that we are sinners. Uh, it's a good thing to do is confess our sins. And we're thinking like penance, confession. And last week, George very helpfully brought us through Matthew 6, through the Lord's Prayer, looking at adoration. And I was taught to think of prayer as A C T. S, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. So praising God, 
confessing my sins to God, saying thank you to God, and presenting my request to God humbly. And tonight, we're looking at the sea. We're looking at the confession. And I know we read Joel 2. We'll, 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 we'll step on that a wee bit. But actually, where I want to go tonight is just one verse. And if you've got your Bibles, turn it to Proverbs, page 469. Page 469. And it's Proverbs 28. And it's verse 13. And it says, He who conceals his sin does not prosper. But whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. It's a great memory verse, actually, for us to go and learn, isn't it? Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. So here's what we're going to look at tonight. The first point we're going to look at, if you're taking notes or if you're, you're thinking about stuff, is the first point is that sin must be confessed. Since the probably around the middle of the 18th century, maybe even a wee bit before that, the Western world, the world that you and I have lived in, has tried to turn their back on the supernatural. So we've got like different things, like the exploration for the historical Jesus. So, for example, you don't want to be looking at the miracles of Jesus. You don't look at the supernatural. You only want to look at the facts as can be proved by science. And a result of that, they've been. What's happened then is is a philosophical age has come in that says, "Well, we are great." called modernism, that mankind can do all things by themselves. So we put our trust in science, we put our trust in mankind's ingenuity, and in our development as human beings. And a result of that is we've lost all sense of sin. That's pretty logical when you think about it. Because if you remove God and the supernatural, if you just take God out of the picture... Well, who have you sinned against? Nobody. And so you lose all sense of sin because sin is primarily against God. It's not what David said. Psalm 51 verse 4, against you only have I sinned. And one consequence of that, and maybe you see it, actually you've seen it all your life, has been that we always try to be pretend that we're better than days gone by. That we have a pride and arrogance, even, dare I say it, over our African brothers and sisters. That we in the West have an arrogance that thinks that we're better because we happen to be Caucasian. Something we need to repent of. That we think that we can find all the solutions to ourselves, to the problems ourselves. So we, we, we have become brilliant, absolutely brilliant. We all have PhDs at this, explaining away things that are wrong and avoiding our sin. So we speak about, as we looked at this morning, people's backgrounds, their upbringing, their social class, their politics. Now, there may be some influences in our background, but as we saw this morning, the problem isn't out there. The problem isn't outside of us, as Jesus says in Mark 7. It's inside of us. It's our hearts. But we don't want to own any of that. And so we shift the blame from ourselves to others. It's kind of like, you know, what you used to do whenever... You know, your, your parents used to say, have you done something? You kind of go, it's not me, it's them over, over, over there. And we don't talk about sin anymore. That, that word is far too negative. So we, we use phrases like, he or she didn't live up to their potential. We deny sin, or, or at least we try to reduce it. 
we put the problem out there, and then we look for people whose sins are obvious, and then we point to them, and we feel better about it. And that's partly why we love the news. That's why we love to sit down at 10 o'clock and watch the news and look at all those big nasty sinners. Because when we look at all those big nasty sinners, we can say, I'm not great, but I'm least I'm better than so-and-so. And we sometimes put ourselves along that moral slide line, always on the good side of it. It's a great thing we do. So watch that you don't find yourself looking down on people when you read the news. Don't use that as an excuse to think you can't deal with, you, with your sin. Now, keep a finger in Proverbs 28. Come back with me to Psalm 36. Uh, and let's read verses 1 and 2 together of Psalm 36. Uh, you should find it on page, as he flicks it open, 398. It says, an oracle is within my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before his eyes, for in his own eyes he flatters himself too much to detect or hate his sin. And that attitude is not something new. To hide our sin from God, it was right there with Adam and Eve, wasn't it? When God looked for them in the garden and they hid because they knew they'd sinned. See, if... If we reject the loving ruler of this world, and we, have, we, uh, we all have, and we try to cover our moral failure, it's like we're doing the same thing as Adam and Eve. We're, we're sewing together a few fig, fig leaves and, uh, and trying to cover up. And we'll be hopelessly unprepared when we meet Almighty God as our judge because our sin or guilt before us is real. Let's come back to Proverbs again. Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper. And it's not just the secular who feel that, the, the, the people who wouldn't call themselves Christians. Christians can do that too. We, we, we too conceal our sin. We convince others that all is well. We sing, you know, isn't it? All is well with my soul. Well, is it? And we all too know too well we hide our sin. We think we can keep a foot in this world and a foot in Jesus. We think, I'll get the best of both worlds. But again, George and I were talking about this on Tuesday and we say, do you know, if, if you try to do that, you're getting the worst out of both of those things. Because you've got too much of Jesus to enjoy the world. Do you ever get a guilty conscience when you're doing things? I do. And you've got too much of the world to enjoy Christ. And so you, you don't get the fullness of, of being in that relationship with Christ. We cannot prosper like that. Do you remember we looked this morning at Mark 2, verse 17? It's a wonderful verse. Let me read it to you again. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So sin must be confessed. And we confess general sin. The Bible tells us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sin affects all of us. And there is a, a, a term that we use in the church for this. It's called total depravity. Now that means that sin has spread through the totality of my being, that every single part of my life has been affected with sin. It doesn't mean that I am causally the worst person in the world, but it means that sin is influencing me at every level of my being. And it's a, as Dai goes through a glass of water, it's like 
even though the Holy Spirit is living me with a Christian, there is still sin, and I need to acknowledge that sin by confessing and admitting it to God that I have fallen short of the glory of God, and I do that constantly. And then there's particular sins that we need to confess. Our brothers and sisters in the Presbyterian Church have this one nailed with their Westminster Confession, which says, Men ought not to content themselves with a general repentance, but it is every man's duty to endeavor to repent of his particular sins, particularly. I love that bit. His particular sins, particularly. What that means is, even though we're sinners, we need to call out those sins one by one. What's a good way of doing that? Well, maybe we ought to review the day at the end of it, just before we get too sleepy, maybe before we actually get to bed. And we maybe make a list, either mentally or physically, we make a list of the things that are there. We we call them out. We say to God, I'm really sorry I cracked up with Elijah today, or or I said that wrong thing to that person, or I thought that. And we say that to the Lord, but particularly... We call them out one by one and hold them before Almighty God. Then there's sins of omission. James 4 says, If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. And that, of course, is, is a great antidote to the Phariseeism as we saw this morning. Because I, I, we all can say, I hope I've not murdered someone. We can all say, I hope I have not committed adult, adultery. Or, or we might say, if we're having a good day, Lord, I haven't blown my fuse today. And we can all pat ourselves on the head and think, what a good boy or girl we are. But what about the good I should have done? Can someone tell me, what are the two commandments that Jesus told us to do? What are the two commandments Jesus told us to do? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. It's the first commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Let me ask you, have you done it? Have you done it? Do you love anybody else? Well, then you can't love God with all your heart. We don't do this at all. And we say in our prayer book, Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have sinned and thought and word and deed and in what we have left, Undone. It's a good thing to confess. It stops us thinking that we're great. When we're not, then there's the hidden sins. Psalm 19 says, Who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Now I have faults that are totally plain to you. You'll be able to rhyme them off within a second of me asking you what they are. But because they're so much part of me, I can't see them. Right? It's true, and we all have them. I wonder if you've ever had the courage to look at your own weaknesses and ask a trusted friend to say to you, where have I fallen short of the glory of God? Have you ever said to God, show me my hidden sin? One of the great ways of doing that is reading your Bible and then praying after you've read the Bible so that you've had a chance, God, to speak to you, and then you say to God, Right, God, whatever is in that passage, challenge me, challenge me with what is in that passage. And, and it let, gives God the opportunity through his word to show you the areas of sin 
that we're not aware of ourselves. It's like when someone takes a photograph of you. I wonder if this ever happened. Somebody takes a photograph of you. Long are the days when you waited at the chemist to get your photographs. Now it's basically there in an instant because it's all by camera. And somebody takes a photograph of you and then they show you, oh, look at that photograph of you. That's a lovely one of you. You go, looks nothing like me. That's as rough as oil boots. Can you delete that? That's shocking. It happened to me last night, actually, sitting down on TV, and there was a photograph from Lurgan Rugby Club about Elijah and I back in the day in the summer we were sitting outside. Photograph Elijah, and somebody says, that's a great one of you two, and I sit back and went, might be a good one of Elijah, but certainly not of me. That's true, isn't it? As we read the Bible, we see a likeness of ourselves that we may not want to recognize. Sins that we aren't aware of. And I wonder, do we ever pray as King David prayed in Psalm 139? Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So sin must be confessed and sin must be renounced. It says, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper. The one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. And I want tonight to look at the fact that there not just has to be a confession, but a loathing of sin. The Old Testament knew that. And our reading tonight of Joel has it set in a catastrophe. Joel speaks about a locust swarm, which means, which seems to be a picture of an army about to overrun Jerusalem. We should be praying for our brothers and sisters in East Africa at the minute where there's a locust swarm eating up every single bit of food that they're taking up, I don't know many, hundreds of tons a day, eating what's eating what little they have in Ethiopia, in Kenya, in Uganda, in the Yemen, in Somalia. It is horrendous. Be praying, people. But this locust swarm seems to be a, a, a picture of an army about to over on Jerusalem. And what is to be the people's response? Fast, get on your knees, repent and pray. Joel 2 verse 12, even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. And that is a a familiar picture in the Old Testament because on the day of atonement, all sins were read out and passed on to an innocent substitute. And there was a fast. When Nehemiah was told to build the walls of Jerusalem and they were lying there broken and desolate, he declares a fast. So it's an, it's an acknowledgement that my sin is serious. That I've got to take it seriously and I want God to deal with it. So fasting is not just a matter of seeking guidance from God. It's to do with a proper response to sin. To be serious about getting it out of our lives. Like the prodigal son, we've got to leave the, the pigsties behind. Sin must be confessed. Sin must be renounced. And then finally, sin can be forgiven. Proverbs 28 verse 13 says, Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces it them finds mercy. Sin can be forgiven because, not because it doesn't matter, it does. Sin can be forgiven because Christ has died on the cross. That's why we're gathered around the Lord's table this evening. See, God is serious about sin. He does not sweep it under the carpet like you and I often do. Sin has to be punished. 
And the Christian who confesses and renounces their, their sin knows that it's being paid in full. First Peter 2 verse 24 says, He himself bore our city, sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds you were healed. The story goes of a little boy who wrote down all of his sins. He did them one by one. He wrote them down on a sheet of paper. Then he set fire to them. When the paper burnt to ashes, and the wind came and blew it all away. And as they blew away, he was heard to say, Jesus Christ died for my sins and carried my sins away. We need to praise God for that. We need to be constantly praising God for that because too much introspection, too much focusing just on our sin can leave us depressed. It can lead us feeling hopeless. But there's nothing wrong with confessing our sin to God. That's a wonderful thing to do because as Christians confess their sin to God, they remember the one who paid the price for their sin. And so confession leads to thanksgiving, which is where we're going next week. We confess our sins and we are deeply thankful that Jesus has paid for them all. We free ourselves from the temptation to try to be the people we are not. And so as I close, can I ask you to use God's gift of confession? As James 5 says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and affected. We need to be open about our sinfulness with one another and quick to confess our sins. I met a, a wonderful godly man in, in, in Jerusalem when I was there for GAFCON, a, a gentleman called Hugh Latimer. And he told me the story about one of his congregation come to him nearly knees knocking. Uh, and he told me, you know, they were coming to confess their sin to him. And the person told them what he had done and said, you know, how could you ever think of me doing that? And he said these words. I thought his reply was brilliant. He said, I've always known you're a sinner. You've just given me the details. I think it's a classic. I've always known you're a sinner. You've just given me the details. And that is how we should think of each other. We should have a place in this church where we can confess to each other and ask our brothers and sisters to help us. That's the attitude we should have with one another. It shouldn't shock us in one sense that we sin and do sin. So let us be quick to confess our sins to Almighty God and to one another. And let us be thankful for Christ who has paid for his people's sins. Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. We're going to sing a great hymn now. Uh, we're going to sing, uh, Just as I am without one plea. Uh, and uh, the second verse says this, Just as I am and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blot, to thee whose blood can cleanse each spot, O Lamb of God, I come. Let's not wait to rid our souls of the dark blots that are there. So we're going to sing, Let's bring to mind those dark blots that are there. Let's confess them to Almighty God. Uh, and after we sing, 
we're going to use the confession that's on our order of service. Let's stand to sing together.